Welcome to Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers Podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lintner, one of the careers consultants for the Dixon Poon School of Law, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Rachel Tong, and let me tell you a little bit about her. Rachel is a future trainee at Clifford Chance. She grew up in Hong Kong and moved to London in 2019, and she has a degree in politics. Before graduating from King's in 2022, Rachel was the co-president of the Lawyers Without Borders Student Division and the president of the Street Law Society. She also found time to co-found the Environmental Law and Regulation Society in her final year, and she's currently studying for the PGDL at the University of Law and will start her training contract in August 2024. Rachel has recently founded the Buddy Up initiative to help students attain advice from lawyers, and we'll talk about that wonderful initiative a little bit later on. But first of all, Rachel, thank you so much for agreeing to come on Let's Talk Law and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So my very first question to you is, why did you decide to study politics at King's? So since a very young age, I've always wanted to be a lawyer, but I became really interested in politics, mainly because of political comedians, I'll be honest. I was binge watching The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, um, Stephen Colbert show, and I just became very intrigued and wanted to know more. So I then talked to different practitioners and family friends, and the overwhelming consensus that I got was that I could do both. I could do a degree in politics first and then do a conversion, and that is very doable. So I came to the conclusion that this was the path I wanted to go on to. And yeah, I've never looked back since. Well, that's great, isn't it? That you've managed to combine both interests and, and that is the unique setup that we have in the UK legal system where you don't have to have studied law as an undergraduate to become a lawyer. And we'll come on to that a bit later on. Um, in our, my introduction, Rachel, I mentioned about some of the things you were involved with whilst you were at King's, but I, I'm just interested generally for you to tell us a little bit more about your student experience outside of your studies and then what you learned about yourself as, as a consequence of, of those um, interests and activities that you pursued. Yeah, definitely. So as I mentioned, I was always interested in law, even though I did a degree in politics. So I decided to structure a lot of my extracurriculars around the legal sphere. And I essentially became the president of Street Law Society and then co-president of Lawyers Without Borders Student Division. And I was also the a team leader at the legal clinic at, at King's. And so I definitely learned a lot from each of these and I can go into that a little bit. So firstly, in my role as president of Street Law Society, I think the biggest takeaway that I had was I think communicating isn't really just throwing out jargon or going into legalese because oftentimes I think previously before I took on this role, I had this misconceived notion of be, uh, if you throw around enough jargon and difficult words, you will sound more convincing. But the whole idea behind Street Law Society is to go into different communities around the UK to give legal presentations and to help these disadvantaged communities understand the law isn't requiring you to kind of throw out jargon, but you should rather kind of communicate better by using simplified language. And through this experience, I really learned that 
in your daily life or doing presentations, using simple words actually goes a long way. So that's my main takeaway from Street Law Society. And for the Lawyers Without Borders Student Division, I think my biggest lesson there was how to juggle different tasks because at that time, I had to help organize a lot of different events. We had different student researchers, but we also had this rule of law innovation challenge, which is an intervarsity competition going on. So then obviously I had a lot of priorities and the way in which I kind of juggled all of that was to make myself a very clear schedule for the week. And so I would make sure that I would be able to fully participate in my academics, but also at the same time, do all of that on the side. And yeah, so finally, coming on to the third thing, which is mm. being a leader at the legal clinic. I think my main lesson that I learned there was that sometimes I need to let loose of my control over tasks, because I used to be kind of a control freak over the things that I do, because I felt like if I did everything on my own, things will work out better that way. But through there, I slowly realized because we had a whole host of clients, I really couldn't take everything on. I had to delegate tasks effectively to different um, student administrators. And through that process, I really learned to let them take the course of things. And usually they do it even better than me. And sometimes the result is but much better than I ever imagined mm. and so I think letting go is definitely a lesson I learned there so yeah those are the key takeaways I had from the experiences I had outside of my academics yeah thank you for being so detailed on that because uh and I'm assuming that probably helped you with applications and assessment processes talking about those skills but we'll, again we'll talk about that a bit later on um so I mentioned also in my introduction that you you found time in your final year, as you do when you're busy, um, to start a brand new student society. So to tell us more about the Environmental Law and Regulation Society, why did you put all that effort in? What What is it all about? And is it still running? Yeah, so it is definitely still running. And um, the, the reason why I started it was I've always been interested in the issue of climate change and the environment. And I wanted to explore the intersection of that and law. And I had a friend who also had a similar interest, Nikita. So then over the summer of that year, we decided to co-found the society together and bring on more students so that they could all support this cause and also understand this further. And I think there were several things I learned along the way as well. So firstly is the fact that it's super easy to start a new society if you're at King's. It's extremely easy to just set it up as long as you get support from the student uh, student union as well as other student students from the body in general. And then I think the second thing is oftentimes setting up a society requires a team of people who can really back you up and have the qualities that you need in an effective group. So in my experience, we were really able to rope in people such as our brilliant heads of marketing, Kyan and Catherine, who helped us promote our society on social media. And we gained quite a following. And since then, our society really kicked off. And the third thing is to just really reach for the stars because we organized 
one of the largest student-led environmental conferences in the UK. And we had a lot of different students from across different uh, different schools, different universities come on to listen to different panelists speak about environmental conservation. And we collaborated with a whole host of different societies as well across different universities. And at first, when we first had this idea, we wanted to keep it small. So we thought of keeping it just within KCL, but we then came to the realization that why not expand it to a bigger degree and rope in more students to be involved in this. And this really grew into what it is today. And we're really proud of it as well. So yeah, honestly, anything is achievable as long as you set your mind to it. And yeah, this society really showed me that you can do whatever you really put want to do and put your mind to. Yeah. Yeah, well, that sounds great. And I'm really pleased that it's still going at King's and, you know, encourage some of our listeners, for those of you who are still studying here, to to go and explore and find out a bit more about it. Um, let's turn back to you and your career choices. You, you mentioned at the outset that law had always been on your radar, but law is a very broad career path. You can go in lots of different directions. So I'm interested to understand from you how you went about researching the options available to you and what resources helped you most during that process. Yeah, and I've been, always been interested in a career in commercial law, so I knew I wanted to go into that field. But I think what is important in my research is to look for the firms that suited me the most, because I think us as students, we often forget the fact that it's a two way process. Firms are looking for us, but we're also looking for a career and the career that suits us the most. So I think in my process of researching, I think three key resources were especially important to me. The first would be the firm's graduate recruitment websites. I think those are a really good starting point to kind of touch off, uh, touch off of because those are the places where you can find the key information about the firm, what they're looking for in trainees, et cetera. But I think if you want to do a little bit, bit of deeper research, I think there are another key resource that I especially found helpful. So the first would be the Chamber Student website, where they had a lot of uh, different people giving perspectives on what it is to work at the firm. But also I use this platform that I'm sure a lot of students have heard of, the Corporate Law Academy. It's basically this forum and also resource hub where you can find a lot of information about different firms. And I used this firm's profile function that they have on the pro on the website. And I was able to find a lot of different information about the firms and look at what the different strengths and weaknesses of each firm um, is. And that was definitely very useful. And a final resource is, I think we often also forget the fact that a lot of people are really willing to help on LinkedIn. I just did a serial search on LinkedIn where I went on the search bar and I just typed in, for example, if I were applying to Clifford Chance, I would type in Clifford Chance trainee and I would just add people, send connection requests to everybody on that page and then wait until someone replies and then ask them if they wanted to go on a coffee chat or chat online. And more often than, than not, they're mostly pretty happy to do that. I think because one, 
they probably had to experience a lot of difficulties coming to their their where they are today but also i think there's this whole feeling of giving back i think in the legal community that people have and yeah so i really found linkedin and kind of making connections there really helpful as well yeah, well, that's really important because uh, I'm with you. LinkedIn is a fabulous resource. And if it's used in the right way and in a professional way, it can be an absolutely brilliant support in, in research and also just making general connections. Um, we haven't talked about work experience. So I'm interested to know about, you know, what your approach was to finding work experience. And, um, you know, lots of our listeners will be applying for vacation schemes and maybe have secured them or maybe not. So just really interested to understand what what your experience was, Rachel. The short answer to that is just me gritting my teeth and just going for it. But in going into detail, I would say The one thing to note about me is I wasn't really successful in finding a vacation scheme. So what I did was I just kind of took initiative in looking for different types of jobs. So I think my work experience could be grouped into three key things. The first bucket would be legal technology. So the reason why I applied is I went to this open day in my first year at Allen & Overy. And one of the partners was introducing their tech innovation space views. And in that process, she mentioned something in passing. She was like, oh, you can possibly intern for one of these companies. And I'm sure this went over a lot of people's heads because it was just one short comment. But it really stuck with me. And after that open day, I just went on Google and I typed in the search bar, Fuse cohort 2018-2019. And then what came up was a list of firms that Allen and Overy was collaborating with. And I just sent them every single firm on that list, my CV and my cover letter. And then obviously it's a numbers game and there was a lot of rejections. And I think this is part and parcel of the job seeking process, but I was able to have a few of these companies reply to me, and then I was able to work for one of the bigger players in the space, Avoca, and I really gained a lot from that experience because that then opened doors for me to work in other legal tech companies. I worked for a regulatory technology company as well called APX, and yeah, even though I had no tech background whatsoever, I I think the interest that I had in that area pushed me forward and into that space and I was really able to gain a lot from it. I think the second type of work experience that I had was legal research. So I worked for the former head of the Lawyers Without Borders organization, Christina Storm. So the way in which I secured that job was I went to this competition that was organized by Lawyers Without Borders in my first year. And in the award ceremony, the student coordinator made this introductory speech to us. So I noted down her name and I went online and I found her email. And then I emailed her saying, hi, I kind of want a job. Would you have a space in Lawyers Without Borders for me? And she said at the time that she didn't, but the director of the organization was looking for an intern to work under her. So I immediately pounced at the opportunity and I said, yes. 
And the director took me on and she was really kind because I then worked for her for two years. She then switched organizations to a non-governmental organization and she was the legal counsel there. So I was then able to work for a non-governmental organization as well. And through that process, it was really, it was really fun because I was able to look into the areas that the non-governmental organization can target and create projects on, which was really eye-opening. So that was a great ex experience in itself. And yeah, so I think the third category would be law firms themselves. And for that, again, I did not secure any vacation scheme. So I kind of had to use any distant family connections or um, relatives, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to this distant family friend who was a partner at Mayor Brown. And I was 16 at the time because I've always wanted to become a lawyer. So I said, hello, um, this is, uh, my name's Rachel. You probably know me from my parents, but we don't, you don't know me very well, but here's my CV and cover letter. Can you please hire me? And he said at the time, you're too young. You're not even 18. I don't think we can hire you. And even if I were to put you in a role that is unpaid, I don't think it's appropriate. And I said, okay. Then when I turned 18, literally a couple of hours later, I, I messaged him again. And I was like, I'm 18 now. Can you hire me? <laughs> <laughs> he said, sure, because I think he was impressed by my tenacity. Yeah. And I was then able to shadow him and I went to court with him and I was able to look see the legal world and I was really fascinated and I was at the litigation practice at the time and it was really really interesting and I've just been very fascinated since then and I knew I wanted to become a lawyer so yeah those are my experiences and I'm sure your listeners I think one thing to take away from this is don't hesitate, just go for it. If you see something you want to go for or an opportunity you're curious about, it's better to send that email than not because th that way you won't regret it. Yeah, yeah. there's a there's definitely a theme coming up from our conversation, um, which I think is great for our listeners to, to hear. But also I think across many of Let's Talk Law episodes that we've done over the last couple of years about making things happen for yourself. And you're right, it feels scary at the time it feels a bit oh could I really do that but your proof that making things happen for yourself has actually has really worked for you so thank you for sharing that approach I think it's it's fantastic um and you you've probably already touched upon many of these reasons but ultimately why did you decide to pursue a career in commercial law Rachel what is it about commercial law that makes you think yep I'm gonna work hard in my training contract I'm gonna try and you know build this career for myself in this sector? What is it about it? Yeah, so I think there are two sources of inspiration for me. So the first would be when I was working at Avoca, um, the legal tech company that I mentioned previously. In that role, I had to automate a lot of different contracts. And in that process, I came across different types of contracts and how the, the fact that contracts are so important in regulating the relationships between companies, be it in mergers and acquisitions or in insolvencies. And I just found that very fascinating. And I realized I actually wanted to be in a role where I could draft or even coordinate deals in the future. So I just set my mind to becoming a lawyer since then because that's what I want my day-to-day -to, -day to be. And I think the second source of inspiration was when I was working at Mayor Brown, shadowing that partner. 
Um, in that process, I was able to kind of read through a lot of bundles and different cases. And it, because I was in the litigation practice, I found that oftentimes a lot of these issues could be prevented way before then in the due diligence process or when the when companies are transitioning, for example. So I w- felt the sense of indignance and I felt that I wanted to be a part of that. And yeah, so that kind of sparked my interest in mm-hmm. becoming a lawyer as well. So I think those two experiences did push me into becoming a lawyer today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And we're recording this in February, Rachel, and um, you will know this better than most, that this is is key application and assessment centre periods for law firms. And many of our students are going through this process themselves. And I'm really keen for you to share with us what your experiences of that was, because as you say, you didn't secure vacation schemes, you got a training contract, regardless of that. So what is it that you'd like to share about application forms, assessment centres, group exercises, psychometric tests, whatever it is you want to bring to life? I know our listeners are going to find really helpful. Yeah, to start off, I'd say don't be disheartened because not securing a vacation scheme isn't the end of the world. But also the fact that so I when I was applying, I was in my third year. I think one thing to note is we need to face the reality that not all firms would hire from uh, people into direct TCs. And my goal at the time was to secure a, a TC by the end of my degree. So then I wouldn't have to worry about job security after graduating. So obviously different people have different priorities, but for me, I knew I needed a clear strategy in terms of how to apply to firms. And I would encourage people who might be in the same boat to do the same. So what I did was I had a spreadsheet of the firms that I could potentially target. And one column is through my research, I would find out the ratio of hires from direct TCs and vacation schemes. And obviously this is subject to change because this has been a few years back. But uh, for, for me, what I found was a lot of US firms often like to hire directly from vacation schemers while magic circle firms and some city firms like to hire more from TC direct for direct TCs, obviously in a lesser proportion compared to the vacation schemers, but still a larger proportion. So I would put the ratios into the spreadsheet. So I know for myself, which firms I can apply to direct TCs in and which firms I can apply to vacation schemes, because that way I have a clear way of kind of approaching firms and make sure that I don't get complete rejections from everybody. So I think this is the very first step that people who might be might not have secured a vacation scheme would have to do. But then I think the second step would then be to reach out to different people to get a sense of what these firms are like, because as much as you can read online, you can never get the taste of what it is actually like to be in the firm and working in the firm. So I think being able to talk to people and ask about their experiences in their interviews is very important. So then you can prepare yourself when the assessment centers come. And then when the assessment centers do, I think in approaching interviews, I have two key things in practicing for them, right? Let's talk about the competency part first. So for competency interviews, 
I've found that oftentimes we think that we know ourselves and we don't necessarily have to then practice because, hey, I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. Why do I have to speak to thin air about it? But I've realized we often don't really know how to articulate it, even though we know it in ourselves. So I think practicing with a family or a friend, telling them about your strengths and weaknesses, telling them about your plans in the next 10 years, for example, that is really important because this would pave the way to your actual interview where you can then articulate yourself better. And I think the second part of these interviews would often be commercial interviews or I think either that or something related to the legal sphere in general. I think for those, what I found really useful was, again, you, uh, utilizing people around you, asking them to help and come up with scenarios pertaining to different practice areas, right? So for example, let's say M&A. Say IKEA is going to purchase a small furniture manufacturing company. What practice areas would have to be involved and what is your role as a trainee in this deal? So I would come up with random scenarios like this or ask my friends to put me on the spot like this. And then I would then delve into the nitty gritty of each case and then throw out different practice areas, what I as a trainee would do. And I think that was really useful because that definitely came up several times in my interviews where interviewers would ask me, oh, so what what, what would you do as a trainee or what practice areas would you involve? Mm -hmm. And this was really helpful. And one last thing that I think is a really good tip for interviews as well is always, always go back to the source material because one thing is the interviewers will always know more than us. They will, they have practiced in the area, in, the, in their practice areas for probably years and years, but we are just law students or non-law students like me, not even scratching the surface of the industry. So then when they ask technical questions, steer it back to the source material. So this way, the conversation can be on grounds that you are familiar with. So let me give an example. In one of my interviews, I was asked what causation is. As a non-law student, I had no no idea what it was. So I panicked at the first second, but then I calmed myself down and I and I gave a brief definition of what I thought causation was. Then I looked at the article in front of me, right? It was about climate litigation. So I tied causation back into what I had in front of me. So I said, okay, so in climate litigation, oftentimes causation is very difficult to be established because you can't ascribe X amount of pollution to Y company. And so this way, by tying your, your answer back to the source material, the interviewers will then have to focus on the source material and ask follow-up questions based off of that, rather than steer it off to a very technical rabbit hole that you might not be able to follow up on. Mm. So yeah, I, I'd say these are my tips and tricks regarding yeah. and assessment centres. Thank you. That was so, so helpful. And I'm sure people are going to be scribbling this down when they're listening to this podcast. Um, great tactics and, and ways of of navigating those moments when you think, why are they asking me this? I've got no idea. But at the end of the day, we're all probably much better at solving problems than we give ourselves credit for. It's how you approach it, isn't it? So um, really helpful advice there. Um, we touched upon it already, but I just want to circle back to this because, you know, not everybody who applies for a vacation scheme or an internship is going to get it. And you're proof that that's okay. 
but people get very deflated and feel you know it can get can it can really affect people if they're seeing others you know securing placements what advice would you feel to somebody uh, would you give to somebody who perhaps might be in that category Rachel yeah so let's talk about two different categories of people under this right so there would be the people who are in second year who hasn't secured a vacation scheme and those in third year like me who hadn't had a vacation scheme yet so for people in second year i would say don't like for both categories don't be disheartened but for second year you'd always have a chance in third year even though the proportion admittedly that firms take in for for vacation schemes are significantly less compared to those in second year, there is still a chance. So I think I've known a couple of friends who didn't get anything in their second year, get they did secure something in their third year. So do apply for vacation schemes still in third year. And I think for those who are in third year and in my position where I wasn't able to find one, I think Two things. One, again, as I mentioned, have a very clear strategy for yourself. But two, try to look for other types of work experience that are vaguely related to law so that you can kind of tie it back to your applications as well. So as I mentioned, legal tech is a very good area, but also legal research, right? You can try to look for jobs that would require people, paralegals, for example, and it doesn't have to be big companies, right? It could be a paralegal for a smaller company. So then you can be able to translate that knowledge and experience into your interviews and applications. But even if not, right, if you have had a job, for example, in a restaurant, that can still be very useful because you can use those transferable skills. I think the term transferable skills has been thrown around a lot and it's not necessarily contextualized enough. I think oftentimes when we hear the term, we don't really know what to say in applications still. I think what we need to do is for every experience, be it in in university, be it an extracurricular or be it a job experience, sit back and contemplate a little bit about what you've learned and jot down the key things that you've gained from the experience. Because I think in doing the job, you probably won't remember a lot and before before I did my applications I wouldn't have been able to answer the question why law or why why the firm I think oftentimes if you then look back at the list you had of the things that you've gained from each experience you can then slowly find what the specific skills you have gained are and then translate it into answers for applications as well as assessment centers I think being able to prepare for that is extremely useful and even if you don't have a vacation scheme, again, it's not the end of the world. I'm living proof that it's fine. And I think a lot of people out there all also had the same experience. And honestly, it will turn out OK, even though you don't have one. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's interesting. I, we often talk about in careers, you know, have your working CV draft. So that doesn't have to be perfect. Nobody has to see it. But what you can do is keep adding to it with what you've done, what you've learned, what your particular responsibilities or tasks were. And then you can choose what you use to explain your answers or to give as evidence and what you're going to then include on a future version of your CV. So I think that's um, that reflective learning is really, really important. 
Um, coming on to our last couple of questions, Rachel, and, and I couldn't have you on the podcast without talking about what you're doing now, which is you are studying for the postgraduate diploma in law at the University of Law. How are you finding the experience? So obviously, I think packing in three years of law into one, it's quite grueling and quite taxing at times. But I think two things, right? Firstly, it's really important to build a good support system around you, whether it be in the law school you're at or outside. I think in U Law, I was able to meet a lot of future trainees at Clifford Chance, and they're all amazing people. And they've been supporting me a lot in terms of in studying and in terms of even chatting about the classes that we were in and also people from different walks of life who joined you law right people who have tcs people who are doing law because they're interested in it because they want to find a, re a law related career path and i've found that these people are really nice as well and it's really opened my eyes into different fields uh, mm -hmm. especially when their career changers where yeah. you can talk to and then you can listen to their experiences as well. And it's really, really refreshing. But also, I think the second thing is it's important to also build a support system outside of university. I have had a really great amount of support from the friends I've made in Kings and also friends that I have outside. It's always great to, for example, come home and have a flatmate that you can chill with and kind of be, be relaxed around and talk about your day. And I think having this support system is really, really important, especially in such a high pressure environment that I'm constantly in. So yeah, I think those are extremely important in, in my whole journey in my postgraduate diploma in law. Yeah, great, thank you. And then the final question, which is, um, you know, not content with setting up a new society in your final year, Rachel, you you leave Kings and then you set up something else, which is called Buddy Up. Um, tell us all about it. How did it come about? And most importantly, how can students get involved with it? The Buddy Up initiative is a brainchild of mine I had over the summer. And so this was inspired by, as I mentioned, I when I was starting out in applications, it was quite daunting actually to reach out to people on LinkedIn and it really took a lot of guts. And I believed that I, I this shouldn't be an issue for people and I wanted to break down that barrier. So the unique thing about Buddy Up is we don't necessarily force people to go on a, a long-term buddy scheme. It's not a mentorship program because I think that might be scary for some people. But this is a very low commitment program where you just go on to do a, a one-off conversation with a practitioner, a future trainee or a current uh, associate where they would give you advice in terms of how you can apply better and application tips and tricks and interview tips as well. And I think through this experience, I was really able to open my eyes to how many people actually needed the help. And it was really refreshing for me to see that I was able to help a lot of people along the way. And we just had our pilot in the first semester of this year, and we were able to rope in, I think, around 150 students. And this was really amazing for us. And so we're planning to expand, obviously, in the coming academic year. So next, the next September, I think, we'll do our second launch and we'll bring on more students, hopefully. And if any listeners are 
future trainees of firms as well, feel free to join us as parent bodies too. Um, so I think we'll have more information out towards closer to September and we'll have everything released on our social media. Uh, our Instagram account is at the Body Up Initiative and we're also on LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. Fabulous. And uh, I know from talking to you offline previously, just how helpful it has been for people who participated, but also how much you and your fellow committee members have enjoyed giving back, which, as you say, is very much part of, of the legal world. And long may that continue. Um, Rachel, we have come to the end of our time together and it's been delightful chatting to you. But before I let you go and get on with your no doubt very busy schedule of studying, um, I want to remind our listeners that we'll be back soon with another episode of Let's Talk Law. But in the meantime, and on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. I know that you'll continue to be involved with Kings in, in various capacities, but most of all, we really wish you well with the rest of your legal studies and also um, for your upcoming training contracts at Clifford Chance and your future careers. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you for having me.